Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 100 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Megan Target from Vexed discusses her first band, and then later, I recommend Abertooth Lincoln. Before all that, I finally welcome Lisa Mungo onto the program. Lisa is the vocalist of the hardcore outfit once known as Fucked and Bound that is now known as Filth is Eternal. She's also the vocalist and synth player in He Who's Ox's Gourd. And I say finally because since the earliest days of this podcast, Lisa has been super supportive and a frequent figure over the show. Over the years, I recommended both Ox and Fucked and Bound, and Lisa was even a guest recommender in episode 4. So the time has finally come for her to be a proper guest, and we're talking the Fucked and Bound name change, her work with Two Minutes to Late Night, What's Up with He Who's Ox's her future approach to shows in this new germ-conscious world that we're living in, and more. So before we kick off our conversation, here is some of the lead single from Filth is Eternal's new album, Love is a Lie, Filth is Eternal, This is On the Rake. Yeah, hi. How are have you been? <laughs> I'm I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Is this a good time to call? Yeah, I'm I'm good. I was actually just uh messaging you on Facebook because I realized I didn't have a phone number. So I was like kind of grasping at straws. But we're good. It's so funny I, I entered your number wrong. And so I had been communicating with you like I think since last night <laughs> oh. the wrong number in my phone. But I you gave me the right number. I just I'm dyslexic, so I turned the numbers around. It was whatever, it doesn't matter. Was somebody texting you back and if so were they at least cool? No, uh, it's a number that no longer is connected. I finally called it, and it was like, this number is not a thing. I was like, fuck. <laughs> what a cruel prank that would have been. <laughs> so how are you? Where are you right now? Are uh, you on East Coast? I am I'm in Davis, outside of Sacramento, actually. Oh, the uh, the home of Cat Jones. Yeah, I, lived, uh, I went to school in Riverbank. I'm somehow not familiar with that. It's not a... Super, like, you know, I don't know, lots of town area, but that's just one I don't know. No, it's fine. It's insignificant. <laughs> <laughs> it's tiny little dot in the valley um, near, probably adjacent to Modesto. So okay. it's just a nothing little tiny podunk town, basically. So, <laughs> But I know Davis. I'm very familiar. Yeah, I grew up the next town over in Woodland, so I, I know that vibe, too. Perfect. Yeah. Valley of California. So I was just talking about it's, we've had a heat wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and down there, I remember it getting to like 121, but it was like that hair dryer blow heat in your face. Um, and that would happen occasionally in the summer. But up here, it was just that combination of heat and humidity. And then, of course, no one has air conditioning units. So it's just it was a little different of an experience than I remember when I used to live in the valley. So. Yeah, I was born in Tacoma, and my dad decided to get a pickup truck that had no AC because he, he was in the Army and thought they were going to be there for a while. Joke's on him. Uh, so they wound <laughs> up moving. My mom and I moved to Arizona with this pickup truck that had no AC and just had the worst time for a long time. Because, uh, again, like you said, no AC. But we've got one of those uh, hell weeks coming up. And I was actually going to ask how your, your heat wave has been, but I saw it today seems pretty okay. Although when I checked your weather, it said smoke. So is everything on fire? Was a 4th of July a success, it sounds like? 
<laughs> it's funny. I It's the one holiday that I sort of like lock myself indoors and I just don't even really go out. I've never been a fan of fireworks, um, even since I was a little kid. And I think it's because I got, <laughs> I got burned as this, it, of course this makes sense, but I got burned by a sparkler when I was like a really young kid and that shit sticks with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I don't even fuck with sparkle. I, to this day, I just never got over my fear of fire flying at my face. Um, very, to me, it feels intuitive to not want that. Uh, so, but I get other people's enjoying it, but as far as the celebrating, you know, everyone has their opinion. Um, I just, there's nothing about this particular holiday that appeals to me, even if at base level, it was just about blowing shit up. I have just don't have a desire for that either. Um, but on that note, I'm injecting my own feelings and emotions into this. Uh, there were a lot of explosions happening around my apartment. So I I assume that people were having a good time last night. (laughs) I know I'm in the same boat, um, partially because I don't, I, maybe I was burned. I, whenever people ask me like a greatest fear, my go-to is always having my face lit on fire. Cause I also, right. <laughs> I also have just a big beard typically and I, it feels like kindling and danger, but, um, it, seeing my cats upset by fireworks makes me sad for them. So I just rather not have to deal with any of it. So they're happy because they're totally. the boss. Like animals definitely do not react positively to this, this, these explosions. I don't know. I think you're either into it. Or you're, or maybe you're benign. You just want to eat, you know. You just mm-hmm. want to like barbecue or something. Because I have friends that are like, I don't care about fourth, but I like eating barbecue. Um, or you're like me, and I just hide <laughs> like a small child. We hid inside and uh, introduced our cats to my sister-in-law's puppy, which was fun. So you know, oh, that's cute. Hopefully, a new tradition. Well, she's supposed to cat to sit for us, and we hadn't done that step yet. So it seems like it's going to be okay. The other one's going to eat Yay. the other one. Well, cool. Next next time I'm uh, down in the area, because I was actually thinking of visiting some friends in SAC and da da da. Um, I'll hit you up, and if there's anywhere you know near that makes sense or whatever, I'm always trying to connect with people when I'm on the road, you know, in general. So even if it's just like meet up for coffee, and um, I don't party as much these days, but I do. I like to have you know, I drink. Uh, I like hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> whoa whoa rock star over here i'm like major rock star status i am like super into hot tea (laughs) just trying to get my body in order here no i mean it makes perfect sense to not put various types of poison in your body for (laughs) reasons but you know tea i I, i'm a cold drink person basically year-round so i could probably find something and we could meet up and you know actually meet for reals because i think we've been in each other's vicinity exactly one time and I was, I like knew of you through like metal writing and like, uh, we have a mutual friend and cat, um, cat Jones. Yep. I mean, we started all this metal nonsense together cause she's from Davis and we met in college, but, um, we were, it was at, uh, you toyed man, you guys in ox and wild throne at bottom of the hill in San Francisco. And you like walk by and I was like, ah, not there enough to say, hey, I don't know you, but I kind of know of you. So <laughs> we it's funny because, yeah, that's it's just a new way of of evol- um, evolving friendships through like the digital realm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I feel sometimes as close to people that I talk to. In fact, when you reached out to do the interview, I can't remember what avenue you took, but I think Justin brought it to me and I was like, oh, yeah, we go way back. And, 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 you know, you have this odd familiarity. So had you talked to me at the show, of course, I would have been like, oh, my God, you know, yeah. hugs and shit. But 
there are people in my life that stand out to me and you were one of them because you were so kind to me in my other project. You were, and that was tough because that was a project where we were really DIY, like no, we had no team, no support, no, no real, whatever we did. We had one person who had like, he was one man who basically were like one of his first two records he ever did. And then he kind of just stopped. But um, back then we were like 99% hands-on DIY. And so when, you know, you had some very kind words and some other people had kind words and that sort of thing sticks with you, especially when you are so DIY, you're so grateful for anyone who's willing to even talk about your thing. Cause you're not attached to some, anyone with any sort of like, um, muscle to get your stuff out there in the attention of people who might want to look at it. So on that note, when uh, you reached out, I was just like 100% absolutely. And it also, I knew it would give us an opportunity to talk more intimately than we've ever done in the digital realm. Yeah. And like, I of course, like want to start off by thanking you for all your help with Far Beyond Metal over the years. When I first started, I reached out to you to pitch a, pitch a band you knew and you were on episode five recommending I had it written down because I didn't want to forget New Axis, I believe it was, or that's right. Episode oh, four wow, or something. That's right. You sent me like an audio clip and a song, and I played them on here. Back when my show, which is still rather involved, was somehow even more involved and brought in other people. And uh, so, how has the last year and some change been for you? I imagine odd. It has, you know, and I, I, I think, I, um, I think the best way to think about it is to go through it in a linear sense. I we played our last show at St. Vitus on the same day that it was declared the state declared an um a state of emergency um and everything started really truly shutting down and prior to that moment I mean that was our last show so anything after that washed aside and I know other bands experienced this as well but up until that moment, I think you're kind of in this sort of state of we didn't under we weren't like fully absorbing what was happening. We knew it. We sort of heard about it because being from Seattle and having traveled to the East Coast, we ended up missing a lot. A lot happened in a short period of time, but we missed a lot of the potency of it, having not been inside of this city proper. So we were hearing little tidbits from our friends back home, which was kind of, you know, like kind of buzzing around our ears. Like this feel, is this real? Is this like, you know, how concerned should we be? But in the moment you're on tour. So you're just kind of like, I'm here, I'm doing this thing. And we, but in retrospect, we started looking back at it and I was like, it makes so much sense because the shows were, as we were making our way North, they were starting to become more like kind of more thinned out and people at the venues were more painted. They were, the conversations were all around what was happening and they were saying, yeah, I, all these people were going to come, but I think they're staying home. And, you know, I think a lot of people are getting concerned and I was just like, so it became more real. And then we went over the border to Toronto and it was as if there was no issue. It was like, like it never happened, but feeling that contrast all of a sudden started making what was happening in the States more real. And then as we got back into the States, we, I think we were in Boston and, um, we, we played a show that night and then that day, all the kids were released from, 
from school and they were all around and they didn't know where to go, but they were told they couldn't stay on campus anymore. So that's when shit was like, okay, shit's getting real. The only reason I bring this up is that this was such a, a an interesting sort of specific way and kind of, I don't know, it's just, it's a unique experience into total isolation to go from that to just complete lockdown when we got back to Seattle and the stark contrast, having experienced all those different environments to come home and then everything just, the streets were empty. Nobody was walking around. It was just post-apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of my starting point. And then there were a lot of my friends who worked industry. I worked bartending for a long time, but I had made a switch like, you know, a couple years prior and I was able to do a job that allowed me to keep working um, remote. But then I started hearing about all my friends being let go one after the other. And then my own bandmates. Um, and it, it was, that was experiencing that as well, being, you know, sort of grateful for that I was able to keep going, but then watching all my friends in a panic about being on an employment and, and, you know, that just trying to survive the moment. And a lot of people couldn't even get money. And so, I don't know, I'm talking about things that I guess everyone experienced. So that's, I guess in that way, that's not unique, but it did have a, an impact, of course, you know, psychologically. And I think we all had something similar. And up until that moment, it felt just like, okay, we're just getting through this thing. We're doing what is being asked of us. We're staying in, we're staying isolated. And it didn't really affect me, I, I guess, in a way that was, I, I really got destroyed when I got message that my mother had COVID. And she and my father lived in Florida. And they lived in a state that oh, no. <laughs> wasn't supporting any, didn't believe that this was even a thing. And my, what's worse is that, you know, she was protecting herself, but, but they, and I can't blame anyone other than their specific government was telling all these businesses, they didn't have to enforce mask wearing or mandates or anything. So these business owners were just following suit, you know, and, it the big um, the the sky hadn't fallen yet on Florida. My mom was a part of the very first wave before it became clear that there was a serious fucking problem. So she had a mask, but a kid didn't, and a kid sneezed on her at work. <clears throat> she works she worked closely, you know. She was an optician, and sure enough, she gets it, and she ends up in you know ICU and. My father, having been in close proximity, I knew it was just a matter of time. I was like, he's going to get it. He's, there's no way he didn't get it. So I had to just uproot everything. And even though I, I didn't know what I was going to do, I just got over there. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to have to wear a mat. I got to take care of my father. They have a cat. They have a house, you know, their trail. They live in a trailer. I got to take care of some stuff. I don't know what I'm going to do. I couldn't see my mother. I think that was pretty traumatic. I mean, it's as traumatic as it gets when you almost lose one. And then my father, sure enough, got it. And then he was admitted. So both my parents were admitted. I couldn't see them. I didn't know if my mother was going to die. 
and I'm just sitting here in their house trying to, you know, in isolation, trying to make sense of it all. And, um, that was a hard time. And I know I just, that was a lot. No, (laughs) I mean, I asked how the last year had been and that, that sounds fucked up and I'm really sorry you and they had to go through that. Um, yeah, (laughs) like my, my mom is a nurse and she's a surgical nurse now when things were really bad, she was like helping out just generally in clinics. And my dad works at a hardware store, which of course, essential business. And the whole time I was just like paranoid for them. I too was able to work from home, but still I was just checking in with them constantly. And luckily neither one of them, like they were obsessively washing hands, masking up, double masking, etc. But still yeah. it was really scary. And, uh, <coughs> How, what was like, other than, of course, being there and trying to keep busy while not being able to be around them, what did you do in Florida? Did you just hunker down and hope for the best for, for you as well? Because you went to the eye of the storm. Yeah, it was really hard. You know, it was, it was, oh man, like I've very rarely talked about this, but you know, my parents, like they live in a trailer park. They have, they live in a very small trailer and you know, they don't have a lot of money. <clears throat> Not no one does. No one I know has a lot of money. But um, the trailer itself, you know, needs so much work. And, and it was just, you know, in this, I felt like I had nowhere to go. Because I'm in this, you know, in this trailer and it's like falling apart. And there was this one night where it felt like there was a monster. <laughs> like it was just dumping rain and there were like, leaks in the ceiling and I swear I swear to God like I didn't know you know and I didn't have enough money to go anywhere else and it's Florida and everyone is not wearing a mask so it kind of felt like um there was just I was I was I was in one sense trapped and also I didn't have anywhere to go or turn to and and I was scared shitless and I can't probably put into words or articulate what that felt like mm-hmm. and and also them not having been able to see them or access have any access to them and i know so many other people went through this you know in their own ways and i i tried to keep in perspective how many people were dealing with exactly the same thing in in you know in their own way and and that's the only thing that kind of kept me going is that i may have felt isolated and cut off and scared shitless that I was in an environment that didn't give a shit or take it seriously. Um, but that other people must have been f- going through that, that in the same moment, you know, even like you said, the, the, the people, um, the care providers, the care providers seeing firsthand what was happening, but nobody like everyone was downplaying what they were saying and how hard, harder that would be in an environment like that. In Seattle, you know, the caretakers are saying, hey, this is a thing. And people seem to be taking heed and like, yes, we're going to do whatever you tell us to do. But to be in an environment like that with that much pushback, I mean, a lot of people must have felt um, lost in that moment in the same way. And when did you wind up coming back to Seattle and, you know, getting I mean, we're, we're doing essentially press <clears throat> for a new album, but this is, you know, a, a a sincere intense conversation about something real that happened in the last but when did like you have to click back into band mode totally um so and how was I, that because it seems like it would be especially challenging 
It, it was. And I think that, you know, again, collectively, everyone was experiencing this moment, right, in their own way, whether it's, I don't have a job now, and, you know, or I have a family member that might be sick, or I have friends, you know, that are experiencing this, or I had friends that, you know, had partners that lived in other countries that all of a sudden couldn't travel, and they were separated from their loved ones. I mean, everybody was experiencing something, you know, insane in that same moment. But to your point, my parents, I mean, I don't know how it happened, but they were able to survive that. And they both eventually were able to come home. I stayed one more week so I could get tested. And that whole process was a fucking nightmare because Florida didn't have the infrastructure to support getting tested in time to prove that you didn't have it. I did the best I could. I got a test like three days prior to traveling, isolated in a hotel, um, I got a little bit of help from a friend. I was able to stay isolated, got on a plane, came home, and then I isolated it again. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I got home, we knew that we had, we wanted to kind of keep some of the momentum going. It probably was at least like four weeks, four to six weeks of things were still slow and isolated. And then I think, God, I can't even remember the time frame. Sometime March, April, May, June, maybe around june-ish i think june july is when we started to get together um and i could be wrong don't quote you can quote me not quote me but it's audio recording you're quoting yourself at this point (laughs) i'm quoting myself non-quoting and quoting myself but at some point we all i think were felt like as long as we wear masks as long as we felt comfortable we, we had a conversation as a group do we feel good about getting together you know, intermittently, I I think we waited until businesses started semi opening up before we felt comfortable enough to begin resumes practice in the practice space. Um, And we had so many conversations about that. And I assume like a lot of other bands all had different levels of comfort. I have friends that are still not getting together. You know what I mean? And I respect anyone's uh, how anyone approaches this. It's it's to it's to each of us to decide what we feel comfortable with. But at that point in time, somewhere around the summer, um, I think we started reconnecting because things opened up at least partially. And as a group, we felt good. But also we were kind of being at the time, you know, two minutes late night. Oh, yeah. Was doing and of course, you know, Jordan, they were doing all these. um, uh, What do they call it? He has a specific term for Uh, it. But basically covers is that. The, bedroom covers. Is that his <laughs> yes. specific, specific term for it? Because that's what I called him to his face, and he didn't correct me. So, <laughs> Yes, I think you're right. Bedroom right. covers. And that was really cool. And Jordan reached out at some point and started tapping us to do a few of those. I think that actually was the precursor for us getting kind of more together as a group. I think we started doing some of those recordings. Um, in fact, 4th of July, I remember Raw participated in that one. And then I think we just started kind of going let's try once a week we're going to get back together all of this is a long-winded way to say we wanted at some point to have something to kind of hold on to in i guess hopes that eventually the world would open back up we knew we were sitting on this record we knew we had a release that would happen at some point so we just wanted to kind of get together and keep the momentum going in some way even if it was just a small way
That was some of He Whose Ox's Gourds, Oathbreaker, from their album The Camel, The Lion, The Child. Oh, for more with Lisa shortly, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere in this episode. Megan Target from Vex discusses her first band. <laughs> oh, I love it when it starts with a laugh. <laughs> oh, God, right, okay. I was the drummer of The Big Sticks. Okay. And I was 12 years old. And we sounded like absolute trash. <laughs> now, what what flavor of trash? Like, were you doing covers? Were these originals? What what are the big sticks? I think it was plural. Yeah, yeah. Um, we I don't even know why we were called the big sticks. I didn't name it. Uh, the guitarist named it, and he wanted to just do um, covers. So we covered things like Avenged Sevenfold and um, Slayer. And who else did we cover? Just like, just all the, all the songs that nobody should cover when they're twelve. Um, and obviously, I was playing the drums incredibly badly, and uh, yeah, it was just a lot of distortion and terribly tuned up two hundred pound drum kits from like your local super superstore or something. Um, yeah, it was absolutely awful, but I have such, such fond memories of that because it was just pure innocence. Like, we thought it was the best thing in the world at the time, but it was terrible in reality. <laughs> Rad. Yeah. Vex's debut album, Culling Culture, is out now via Napalm Records. You can grab your copy now at vexedvexedvexed.com. Now before we wrap my conversation with Lisa from Filth is Eternal, here is some of her work with the Two Minutes to Late Night crew. This is Lisa with Will Putney, Guarcinio Hall, and others covering White Zombie Supercharger Heaven. You can find the full video over at the Two Minutes to Late Night YouTube channel. <laughs> bedroom covers first off you do a hell of a rob zombie um <laughs> thank you what was your what was your favorite cover of those that you've been involved in or any of the, of the band has been involved in because you were in a in a room with dimitri from Dillin, old ex dillinger screaming prince <laughs> yeah. which i mean i'm a huge prince fan so i was like super stoked about that one and then just a constant parade of people i was like ah, oh, cool ah, oh, cool oh shit it's lisa um so like <laughs> I, I Jordan reached out, but like, how how is all you said? Fuck it, uh, favorite one. <laughs> oh gosh, okay. Uh, you know, I've actually had this thought cross my mind as well. I think there. I I don't want it to so sounds like an easy way out. They're all 
my favorite and sure. because they're all different. And like you said, one is they each have their own treatments. Um, I will say that even the ones that were obviously the ones we're not a part of, I, I watch every single one that he, they have released um, as a collective. And I think it's uh, pretty steadily. It's, you know, I'm guessing it's Jordan um, and uh, well, it's his, so yeah, it's the whole team of people mm-hmm. that make it happen and players that kind of weave in and out. I've noticed like some frequent visits from certain people like Steve Brodsky and stuff. But I think what um, the, you know, at the end of the day, what they're doing with this show, having, keeping people sort of tied into the scene and giving people, I don't know. It's just, it was simple. It was just like creating something that people could enjoy and also participate in. And, during a time that felt very bleak and where people felt probably pretty isolated and cut off. I think that the simplicity um, of what this show represented and what it was trying to do uh, worked. It was effective. And I just really appreciate Jordan for reaching out to us and for including me. And honestly, I loved the challenge of doing Rob Zombie vocals. (laughs) And I remember listening, like, listening to the song over and over again. And I was like, do I do my own thing? Am I going to just, am I bringing my weird, you know, feral, crazy vocals, whatever? And I was like, no, I want to do Rob, right? I want to listen exactly (laughs) and really hear that vocal and then just try to, like, mimic it. And I know that other people are like, why didn't you do your own take? I was like, no, because that vocal is cool as hell. And I just wanted to do it justice and... I love that song so much and yeah. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I just really appreciated being a part of those shows. I think you did in that. Um, I want to start off with a question. Everyone's going to ask, I'm sorry to pile on why the name changed from fucked and bound. I I feel like I think I'd know from like a social media aspect and, you know, (laughs) SEO and stuff, but uh, was, was there more to it than that for you guys? Well, it's, there's, it it was a couple things, but they're both very potent. So on one hand, yes, you can imagine that over the course of the last, you know, two years ish or whatever it was that every, if you, every single time you posted something, it got flagged and put brought down and only like the smallest percentage of things you were putting out in the world were not getting crushed. Um, you might consider something like this. So, it, interesting enough, this idea came from us. It didn't come from anyone else. Even the people who support us, our team, labels, they all were like, no, <laughs> why would you do that? It's such a great name. And we were like, we know. We understand. <laughs> um, the other side of it was that when we first started the, the project, we always considered it to be more of a project. We wanted it to just be a quick flash in the pan, you know, from the, from the onset. In fact, we had met members partially like leave in part because it was always meant to be this like quick burst. And we weren't even going to have social media channels when we first started. We were just like, we're going to do this. It's going to be regional. We're going to do some shows. It's going to be punk as fuck. Let's keep it that way, whatever. <clears throat> and I don't know what happened, <laughs> but it just sort of like started all of a sudden we did have channels and all of a sudden we were booking tours and all I, so I can't really exactly say. I mean, at some point, it just started naturally, organically turning into more than what we originally 
thought it would be. So at some point, given the nature of all the shutdowns and, and the you know hitting those walls to our original intent, we just had a serious conversation and we've got all new members. I mean, besides Brian and myself, it's all new members than were in the original band and on suffrage. Um, so, and an additional member on top of that. So we've got five of us now. Oh, I didn't know that. A lot of people don't know that. So a lot has changed (laughs) and we had a choice. We're like, do we start fresh? Do we have some pull through? Because we love what we did on suffrage. We'd love to be able to continue playing those songs. And so at the end of the day, we just made the choice collectively. And it took us a long time to get here, but we just said, let's just go ahead for the sake of all the things that we want to do for the fact that all this music is changing and morphing, but for the fact that we want to still be able to play some suffrage and bring some of that, um, some of those songs with us and create that pull through, this is our decision. And then let's just move forward. All right, cool. Cause I had a question if like fucking bound tracks were off the table now, since you have a new name, but it sounds like it's still part of the, the oeuvre. Absolutely. So those songs are still available. Um, Suffrage exists under uh, the new moniker. And so you you could find that music um, anywhere streaming uh, under Filth is Eternal. And you guys almost did one of my favorite things in music, and it's something that was more prevalent in the 70s. But then you were just off in that you had the band name, a song with the band's name, and the title of the album all be the same thing. But Love is a Lie broke that up were you were you close to doing that or like why the it feels like the album has two titles and i see when i'm looking at the track listing where the split is and it sort of makes sense so like uh with the new name swinging in with the the name as the album title seems like the right move why did you break it up with love is a lie as well i think that you know the 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 album obviously was created way before we decided to go with <clears throat> the name filth is eternal um so we had created this record 2018 2019 and we did some revisions you know early in the year um but i think it was mostly finished and complete by the end of 2019 including vocals and and recording because i had been on tour 2018 19 with another band um but while i was on the road is when i was writing lyrics but they were sort of beginning the production efforts. So this title of this record has existed (laughs) for a long time. And, you know, we, when we thought about changing the name, um, we went through, I don't even think we went through a large list. It was almost like we just came up with two ideas and the one idea was so obvious that we just went with it. Um, and it just felt right for like the direction that we were going and uh, the new music. And it felt right for me, like content wise and theme wise, as far as like what I was bringing to the lyrics and how those were changing, becoming more intimate. Um, I just think that, I think that that, I don't know if I'm answering your question very well, but it's more like the record existed. That name all just seemed so right to us. And almost instantly, everyone agreed to it, and it just made sense. How has revisiting these songs been now that they're, it's like, they're new to the world, but they're not new to you. And artistically, is it weird going two or three years back and having to put yourself in that mindset again? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I was just 
discussing this with a group of people. Um, the, you know, it is challenging to sit on a work of music this long in, in some ways. So I see there's like, you know, I see two doors here on one, one hand, it's a challenge because it's very, it's older music to us. You're right. Not, not a lot of people have heard it, you know, and some of these songs we road tested, you know, on that tour, East coast tour, but a lot of people have not heard the vast majority of these songs. Uh, but you're right. We've been sitting on them. So psychologically that is weird because you reflect back and you can start really picking things apart. And like, I would have done this. I would have done that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but not so much. It, then there's this other side of it, which is I look back at these songs and they make perfect sense. They're like, you look at that chapter and you're like, okay, even if sonically I would have made some different choices, the content and contextually in the moment and space and time, all of that is an, an imprint of what we were experiencing or what I was experiencing. And, and, you know, that comes through and is reflected in the lyrics. So it's always this like, oh, you know, it's kind of like, it, yes, it's hard to sit on a body of work, work this long. But looking back, it's almost like the meaning of the songs make even more sense when I look at them holistically. Like when I look at all the songs start to finish, I'm just like, that is a perfect representation of what exactly what was going, you know, I was going through, we were going through in that moment. And I actually had a question written down next, but I think I just figured it out. Is that why Zed wasn't on the album? Because it's not from that time capsule. That is correct. So um, even though it was a part of elements of it were batch. Sometimes you write songs in iterations, you write them, then you rewrite them, then you rewrite them. There are parts of that song that were written and then parts that weren't. So it was in its final shape. It was sort of an amalgam of different time periods. Um, and it felt like a really good segue song in that regard. Uh, I guess it's a precursor, but it also <laughs> leapfrogs into LP three songs that are already like we've already written another LP and you get tastes of LP two and tastes of LP three with said. So that felt like a really cool standalone single to come out and go, okay, we're changing our name. This is, this is, you know, a, a taste of, you know, what we've done, where we're going. And that was kind of the thought process behind that release. Um, I don't see any immediate shows on the band's horizon as of when I looked, I think yesterday. Um, but I'm assuming some sort of road stuff is in the works as we open up again and shows are happening again, which is still strange to me. I know. <laughs> I was just talking about this as well. Some of my friends don't believe it's going to happen. They're still just like, which in with good reason, they're just like, well, we'll see if it actually happens or not. Um, but yeah, we do have um, August 28th. We have a show with these arms are snakes, like a reunion show. Um, and then uh, Dust Moth, who are dear friends of ours, they're going to be opening the set. Um, and so it's just uh, it's our three bands that night at Numos in Seattle. So that'll be that'll be incredible. And then I think we've got a couple other things in the works as well. I think one show that might be happening even before that, and then a, a show that might be happening not too far after that. So we're starting to see things land. And as far as tours go. Of course, yeah, they're, I keep, they're unannounced, so I wouldn't be able to say what they are. But yes, right. we are in discussions about potential tours right now, and those things are starting to kind of um, 
come more into focus and feel less of an abstraction. <laughs> now I've, I've, I've only seen you perform with Ox. I've not seen Fucked and Bound, and clearly haven't seen Filth as a Journal yet. But do you think your live performance that is notorious at this point is going to change in a germophobic world that we're probably entering into? Like, I've seen photos of you with a microphone in your mouth, like, screaming all your emotions out. Do you think you're still going to put a microphone in your mouth? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> It'll be a bring, bring your own mic, though, in this future. I'm I assuming. always... A hundred percent. So even back then, I am, um, you know, back way back when uh, <laughs> I always carried my own microphone, um, several of them, actually, because I break them. Um, but uh, I always keep my own for obvious reasons. And then but, you know, to answer your question on a large like, I don't know, uh, more fully is that I thought about this as well. Obviously, you think about Sometimes, maybe not everybody, but sometimes I think about and reflect on performance. Like, what will I do? Because I'm so in the audience, typically. Um, how does that work now? And people's comfort levels. And how do I read that? Do I, <clears throat> do I oh, am I thinking about it? Am I overthinking about it? Am I going to get there and just sort of do what I did in the past, which is react in real time to whatever the audience is kind of giving me and how I'm feeding off the audience. These are all thoughts that have gone through my mind. I have a feeling that my, I will defer always, or I will always fall into what I normally do. And that is just kind of act intuitively off whatever the audience is giving me at that moment. And that's what I've always done. That's probably what I'll continue to do. However, the caveat being, there's always, there's always a side thing. I did for the first time get myself a mic stand um, and I've been sort of trying to incorporate that into what I'm doing on top of just, you know, running around, uh, you know, with a microphone. I, I want to have both options now. And so I've been practicing with a mic stand, you know, a mic and a stand. And it's, it's definitely different. <laughs> really hard for me to to be there but i'm like how do you how do i create energy using this tool and not only be relying upon the old tool so <laughs> it's so interesting because i just watched your interview with cat for the pit from last year and in that you were talking about how it was a, a change in just like who you are to be just on the microphone from out behind keyboards and like the yeah. mic stand with Ox. And now you're like trying to find some middle ground. I, I picture you're going to have like the half mic stand like Freddie Mercury had. Maybe you won't play it like a guitar. Maybe you will. Up to you. Like he said, <laughs> feel, feel out the room, see what they're into. If they like air guitar, do it. So I, I think that's your middle ground because then it's still like this this commanding staff in your hand and it becomes your, your battle staff. Fucking rad. That's right. I, I, you know, I'm sort of been playing with it and I'm just, you know, I'm always really honest and transparent. I, I don't know what I'm doing yet. So like, as, I'm, <laughs> as I'm fucking around with this mic stand, I'm definitely like, you, you can tell that it's not natural for me, but you know, that's part of it as perform performers. We just, you got to start somewhere and you, you know, you mess around, you fumble around for a while. And then I, I've watched other um, interviews with other artists. I really admire who are sort of changing up some of the ways that they've been doing things. Um, maybe it's through their articulation or their treatments. But I think that that is one of the things I love most about 
music and musicians and, and artists in general is being able to be open to changing things up. And so um, I'm just going to kind of go with that and just see what happens. And if it's a disaster, it's a disaster and I'll figure it out as I go. <laughs> and we'll, and I don't know, it's just, it's hard to imagine a world where I'm not out in the audience doing the normal, typical stuff, but some good benefits might come with that too. Might be a little bit more balanced. So balancing the feral, you know, sort of like no, no um, understanding of what it is I'm doing with my body, balancing that with here's some sort of anchor. And then I'm going to try to be big with my emotions without physically running all over the place. So it might be interesting to see how this works out. Another middle idea, the flaming lips ball. How about that? (laughs) How about you send me like five of your best ideas and I'll just incorporate it like all of them at this next show. That's why I'm, I'm an idea, man. That's why I'm here. That's all this, okay. this whole podcast is just spitballing. <laughs> I love it. Just soundboards for each other. You know, we're just figuring this out together. Yeah. If you ever need a terrible idea, shoot me a text. Okay, um, deal. <laughs> and, and this also came up in your interview with Kat. And I wonder if there's been any changes in it. Uh, you said in that chat that he who's ox is gourd kind of hit a wall trying to work in the studio. Is the band still on pause? Or has yeah, this last but- year given you something to do there as well? Totally. I think that, you know, I think when we just sort of hit that moment where we were like, okay, we all just need a break. Um, And I'm, you know, different outfits go through this. And I've read about outfits being, you know, on pause or you some have disbanded for 10 years and come back and figured stuff out. I think it's just we want to be able to let that come about organically if it if it's meant to come about again and it it might change it might morph might have again different treatments the way we look at it um the makeup of the different instrumentation might be slightly different but where i'm at right now and i think where we're at collectively is still kind of just on a shelf it's just sitting on a shelf right now um and you know it's interesting because we do have a lot of people reaching out wanting represses or you know access to physical copies um and when people have reached out it kind of you know it was it's touching in the way it's like oh we did create like a lot of created a lot of work i go back and think about all the different releases we had um but i think i'm just so focused right now on this project that i kind of feel like i'm just letting that be there on that shelf for now and when it's right it'll feel super right all of a sudden my focus um and my energy will be on that fully and then i'll be able to in turn give it what it needs in order to uh to breathe life back into it in the right way sure because i I feel like if you were to just sort of cave to people asking about it and do it half-assed people would feel it and i don't think anyone benefits from that really so that's respectable that you're just like let's wait for it and i think having other examples of again other artists and uh groups that have been cool with hitting that button that pause button and they're not trying to you could always i feel you could tell when a record is put out in haste or is done just for the sake of you know i think we've all experienced records like that um i've made records like that (laughs) (laughs) so i don't want to ever do that again i just want to make sure that what i'm doing moving forward has a tremendous amount of meaning and 
it it's you know we're giving it everything that we have and it makes sense and i'm like that with other things as well i'm getting a little bit more rigid about just releasing content period i don't want to release content for content's sake i get it you know we live in a world where people want content all the time but i don't want to just be creating half-assed shit for the sake of just getting something out there and creating a pulse if that pulse is weak and so i just want to really focus moving forward on creating quality content across the board and that's what i think listeners deserve anyway and i'm you know that's the goal i'm I'm sure i'm gonna fuck it up but that's the goal anyway (laughs) (laughs) the the fourth uh filth is a well you know what i'm saying the fourth uh from this project will just be like simple a b a b c oriented songs that are clearly (laughs) just panned like i think um a friend of mine g- likes to rant at me about Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters slash Nirvana, of course. Uh, but he said for Foo Fighter songs, he puts no effort into writing the songs and they wind up working out. He just like writes pop song structure stuff. And that could be f- album number four. Just, he, just float it out there. Again, terrible I'm starting ideas. To actually wa- I'm starting to wonder. I'm starting to think the less I do, the more I do. Like maybe I just don't, <laughs> don't put any effort into it and to see what, how that is received. It's probably received even better. So you never know. <laughs> yeah, it's supposed to like come from the world around you. And if you just let the world channel uh, beige, maybe beige will be sick. I don't know. That's right. That's so funny. My, my, this is, has nothing to do with anything, but all the walls in my new apartment were beige. And I immediately got in here and said, oh, hells no. I just painted everything black. Like, I cannot (laughs) live in a world of beige. Like, before I stepped foot in this place, like, proper to live here, I was like, "Mm -mm, all the walls are black. No beige for me. Our place, when we first moved in, uh, we sublet it from some dude for a while. And uh, he had gone through and painted a bunch of the walls. And one of them was purple. And I was super stoked about having the purple wall. Just because I'm a Prince fan and I apparently push it everywhere. Um, And... I mentioned to management, I'm like, oh, like, there's the purple wall. Like, can I do the entire room purple? And she's like, excuse me, they painted? You cannot fucking paint in there. <laughs> so we have boring ass white walls covered in band posters. But oh, if I could have a purple or black wall, it'd be so awesome. Yes, Not I here. love it. Next place. Um, <laughs> uh, well, thank you for coming on the show. Like, it's been an absurdly long time coming. I don't know why it never clicked with me just to ask you, but... I'm glad we are putting something else new into the world and we can help put more ears on it, hopefully. And then, you know, when you're able to come back around and act, I can actually see you because I think you played Sacramento on a, on a weird night that I couldn't go for some strange reason. But uh, so, yeah, I am hopeful for the future of Filth is Eternal. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And <clears throat> like I said, hugs to be had next time I'm down in that area. And um I just really appreciate you. I think what you do and what you care about is, is awesome. And um, thank you so much for even thinking to connect with me around this record and also this band. Yeah, of course.
Love is a Lie, Filth is Eternal by Filth is Eternal will be out on August 27th via Quiet's Panic. You can pre-order your copy now at filthiseternal.bandcamp.com then follow the band at filthiseternal on Instagram. Now to wrap this episode, I am recommending that you check out the band Abertooth Lincoln. This is a progressive punk band from Dayton, Ohio that weaves in spacey prog and hardcore into a wild sound. They recently dropped the single Mother is Coming via Riot Records. I'm tempted to tell you why this song is great, but instead, here is Mother is Coming in its entirety.
Mother is Coming by Abertooth Lincoln is out now on all your streaming services. You can find it at the link in the episode description, then find more by Abertooth Lincoln at abertoothlincoln.bandcamp.com. That will do it for episode 100 of Far Beyond Metal. You can head to farbeyondmetalpodcast.com to find past episodes. If you're in a band, you can hit me up to be on the show. There's a store link. You can find links to all my friends. And of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.